So if you're, if you're thinking, well, why do we care? Why should we even bother? Well, here's one of the key points. Most people, if you, if you think about the, I don't know, you know, Billy Graham passed away, uh, what was it, a few weeks ago now. And if you go back and look at a lot of the things that have been written about Billy Graham and his crusades, one of the things that you'll find is that almost everyone who went to a crusade was someone who was invited by somebody else, a friend of theirs. And that was, the, that was a mechanism that they used primarily to get people to come to the crusades, was just, hey, you invite a friend, bring them along, go with them, right? That was the whole mechanism. And if you go back and ask yourself, what's the likelihood that somebody's going to randomly just show up after seeing an advertisement? Very, very low number of people who do those types of things. And so that's why it becomes really important, that personal connection that you have with the people that you touch and come in contact with every day. And one of the key things there is the first item on there is that it's hard for someone to feel like you care about them when you don't understand what they believe and more importantly, why they believe what they believe. And so one of the key reasons why we think about topics like apologetics isn't just about understanding in some ways our own faith, it's understanding why other people think differently than we do. And uh, it becomes really hard to understand or to be able to relate to them without really understanding what they believe. And so one of the key things to walk away with, well, why should you care, really, is because it may, it'll make a better impact on the people that you come in contact with every day. The second is that um, I'm sure that all of us have at times in our own lives where we're asking the question of, why do we believe what we believe? And you'll see something on TV or you'll, you'll hear from one of your friends. And at that point, you'll be asking the question in your own mind of, well, is this true? I don't know. I don't really know why I believe what I believe. I don't know why the Bible, that I believe the Bible is accurate or historical or that there's truth in it, right? And so one of the you know, main reasons that we study the scriptures at all, for that matter, is so that we ourselves understand our faith better and that we can be better at articulating and understanding ourselves. It's not even for anyone else, it's for us. And so I would say that this has been one of those things that's helped me quite a bit, but maybe, you know, and again, everyone's different, and everyone has a different level of evidence that they're looking for in their own lives. But I, I would say that next time you have a friend who asks you one of those tough questions, this would be a good opportunity for you to figure out, well, what is the answer to that question? What is there behind this that I can understand, whether it's from the scriptures, history, all of these other pieces that fit together? And then, you know, the last reason is, believe it or not, the scripture actually says this is a good idea. After all, in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always being prepared to make, you know, cut out the beginning of this, but you can read the rest of the passage. It's in your notes, uh, you know, the reference. But it says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so that's also a key part of the message. Uh, you know, I, I, we've all seen the messages of the, uh, you know, we've seen people at, whether it's college campuses or standing on the corners, and who are very vocal about their faith and their views. And, and the part that's often missing from that part of the message is the with gentleness and respect part of uh, what we're doing. And largely, if, you know, if, if our goal is to try to bring people to faith, then it behooves us to figure out what's the best way of doing that. And usually talking at people and yelling at them and you know, those kinds of things are usually not beneficial 
to getting someone to understand or come to the faith. Any more than if someone did that to us, most likely we would do exactly the same thing and walk away, right? And so that's why, you know, it's, it's interesting because in some ways we're standing here having this conversation because we know the truth and we know the truth of the scriptures. So in some ways we already know that we're right, but that doesn't change the fact that ultimately as we're speaking to other people, they don't know, they don't understand that. And so our goal in this case is not to be right. Our goal in this case is to be able to communicate the gospel to the people that we come in contact with. So next slide. We're going to look at very high level, sort of these are the big questions when you think about sort of our faith and, and being in existence, the questions that people have been wrestled with for millennia. And the first one is, does God exist? Right? It's a fundamental question. Uh, and, and then secondarily, if we could answer the question of does God exist, well, which God, if there is in fact a God that exists? And then, of course, the third, you know, sort of topic that we probably deal with on a daily basis is the subject of, well, you know, there, there are many ways to God, right? W which one is the right way? And, and I'm sure that all of us have heard about, you know, questions like the problem of evil, the Trinity, you know, evolution, and then, of course, the more important ones like, you know, should preaching in genes be allowed or not? And those are all probably deep theological questions, but we're going to stick to the first three because I think those are probably the most major ones that have uh, an effect on everyone. Tough crowd or you didn't get the joke about the preaching in genes? I don't know. <laughs> all right. All right, next slide. So before we launch into this, I want you to do one thing at your tables for the next, uh, I'm going to give you guys five minutes and I want you to talk at your table about the question of what's the hardest question that someone's asked you about your faith as you've talked to them? All right. Did everyone have a chance to uh, talk about a couple things? Any brave... Are there any brave people out there who've got an interesting experience they'd like to share? Would you raise your hand? I'd like a couple of volunteers. Some volunteers anywhere? Come on, guys, come on, let's get a volunteer. Someone's got to volunteer. Okay, I'm going to bring you a mic. Did you volunteer? Yeah. I think my hand went up out of compulsion, but um, good morning, everybody. My name's Tina, and it might not be the deepest question that someone's ever asked, but I think the most difficult question that people have asked me is how can I still maintain the faith and hope that I have in Christ after all of the difficult situations that I've gone through in my life from literally the day I was born until even recently. And so scripturally, I'd like to really have um, more of a background to be able to answer that. And the people at my table were helping me with that, which was really great. But I'd say that's probably the most difficult question for me. Well, thank you very much. Hi, uh, my name's Dave, and uh, as we were discussing this around our table, we kind of agreed that most of the time um, people don't ask us questions, we initiate the discussion ourselves. And the most common opportunity I have to do, place I have to do that, is when Gracie and I are going someplace on an airplane, like you do a lot, and you're sitting next to somebody and you initiate a conversation with them, and as I shared with the folks at the table, what I usually do at some point in time, hopefully soon after the conversation begins, is ask them, 
are you involved in a local church? And that usually opens things up pretty quickly. Um, and then you take off from there. But one of the most difficult questions that we at our table seem to encounter most commonly was, why does a good God allow evil things to happen? And unfortunately, a lot of people, including C.S. Lewis and Andy Stanley, have come up with some really good answers to that. All right, thank you. You know, those are great, uh, great uh, points. And I think that all of us, as we probably went around our tables, have got some of these examples that in our own lives. Now, I have to admit, this is a little bit of a confession here. I'm one of those people that I'm usually talking all day to people. And when I get on an airplane, I don't actually want to talk to the person sitting next to me in my, you know, my in-ear headphones. And, you know, I just put on a thing and, and, and act like I don't want to talk to anyone because I don't. And so hopefully you're not like me when you guys are on an airplane and you talk to people and, uh, you know, ask them those questions or share your faith everywhere you go. And so next, uh, next slide. So one of the, you know, one of the fundamental questions and, uh, is uh, the question that, uh, that a lot of people have around the question of, you know, if you, if you were to go backwards and you were to look at sort of a big picture, this is probably the most fundamental question that, that sort of people have wrestled with, the question of does God exist or not? And so if you think about sort of the worldviews, there's, there's the, there, you know, there, there are three worldviews that we know of. One is a theistic worldview, which, we, you know, people believe that there is a God, whatever that means. There's the atheist on the other side, which are the people who are, uh, you know, vehemently believe that there is no God, right? They're sure of that, just as, just as sure of that there is no God as there are the people on the other side who believe that there is a God. And then there, of course, are the people in between who are like, we, we, don't, we don't know. Now, to be fair, you could make a very strong argument that the most intellectually honest position would be the one in the middle of the agnostic. And the reason for that is that, as it turns out, and we're not going to go into a lot of detail about sort of these, and again, these are, these are all things that are way beyond the scope of discussion in the few minutes that we have today, but if you were to look at sort of even the questions of, uh, you know, does God exist in atheism, you know, versus theism, and the arguments, and, and the arguments, by the way, for example, the, theism have nothing to do with Christianity, per se. I mean, there, there, are, there are great arguments that have been made by folks who are Muslims, for example, and, uh, you know, the philosophers, theologians, and other people that are talking about the existence of God. And so that's a general topic that has little to do with the question of Christianity per se. It's a, it's a much more general question. And you'll find that the agnostic is probably the most honest of the group. And the, and the reason for that is that if you were to go back and ask the question of could we prove either the existence or the non-existence of God, you're, I mean, the bottom line is everyone's going to have a really tough time proving either way. And so in some of these cases, what you find is there are a lot of great arguments, but if you're stepping back and asking, if you, how, many of you, how many of you all remember geometry classes where you had to actually prove things, uh, you know, proofs for geometry? Well, you're going to have a very tough time when you get into the question of the existence of God, something that's outside of our realm of measurement and experience, right, of being able to answer that question in the, in the same way that we can prove other things, right, like the two sides of a, you know, of a, of a square or parallel, for example. Very different problem between those two things. And so, next slide. So, if you were to go back and you, you were to think about, well, where does everybody fit, sort of, in this scale? Because we talk about, we use these terms like agnostics and atheists, and we talk about these things all the time. 
you know, atheists tend to be what we consider as their secular humanists, right? And then we've got sort of the theists. So it turns out when you start looking at theists, pretty much most of the religious systems that we think of and the peoples that we see fall into that category. Whether you're Christian, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Muslim, Hindu, Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, doesn't really matter. All of the groups that we typically come across fall into that bin. How many people in the audience feel like they're well-equipped to have a discussion with an atheist? I saw like three hands. Well, let me show you something. Next slide, please. So this is from the Pew Group, and it shows you the distribution by ethnic group on atheists in the United States. And so it turns out that for the rest of the people who did not raise your hand, which is the majority of people, your best strategy, if you can't, you know, if you can't effectively deal with atheists, is just talk to people who are black, Asian, Latino, or anything else. Very low probability that they're atheists. Because <laughs> it turns out 78% of atheists are white. right? And so if you go to the next slide, it's even more interesting because you know, as funny as that is, it turns out, this is what's even more interesting. If you look across the population of people who identify themselves as atheists in our population, it's 3%. That means that out of, if, out of the, if you were to pick 100 people that you knew, the probability was that there would be three out of that 100 that were actually atheists. And so often we, we overestimate the probabilities of running into people, for example, with these belief systems because they tend to be vocal, we tend to see them in the news, we tend to see all these sorts of things, and as a result, we start overestimating the frequency of how often that occurs. And so then we also start getting afraid of, well, I don't know, what am I going to do if I run across an atheist? Better not to say anything versus running into someone where I don't really understand it well enough to do anything or say something. And so when you look at this, you realize an interesting thing, that actually that's a very low probability event. So of all the things, if you were sitting around thinking of, uh, well, what do I do or what do I not do, the beauty of this is that it's a very, very low probability event that you're going to run into a person who's an atheist. Now, that being said, if you were working at a college campus, for example, there's a higher likelihood that you would see a higher concentration of people who fit into that category. But if you're like all of us are in sort of the everyday life of having few kids and doing whatever we do, working and everything else, very low probability event, right? So what's even more interesting is that in the U.S., going, I was listening to somebody who was saying, hey, you know, most of the people that I come in contact with are probably what they would consider themselves reformed Christians who've left the church, right? And so when you look at that, you realize, well, that makes a lot of sense because if you look at sort of the... If you took just, you know, if you said, hey, well, I don't consider Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses mainstream, you know, Christian in any way, shape, or form, that's still roughly 70% of the people that you come in contact with fit into the bin, at least in the United States still, of being some sort of church background and Christian background. So here are a couple of interesting data points for you. How many of us has run into a Mormon person coming to our doors? Um, how many of us has run into a Jehovah's Witness running into our doors? Okay. In my own experience, I have been accosted more times in my life by Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons than I have by Christians. 
So if I were to go back and ask myself, hey, how many times has some random Christian walked up to me and said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus? You know, compared to, you know, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. And I can tell you, I can't remember the last time a Christian came up to me, you know, accidentally and tried to share his faith. And I'm like, hey, I'm a believer too. Thank you very much, right? Nice meeting you, brother or sister. Uh, but I can remember a lot of experiences with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, right, doing that. Here's a staggering thing. There are only 1.6% of the population that are, say they're Mormon, okay, that are Mormon in the U.S., right? And so you look at that and you're like, so that would be, again, to make easy math, that's saying if you took 100 people, there'd be two out of 100 who identify as Mormons, and there are over 10 times more people who identify as evangelical Christians, over 10 times as many. But in all of our experiences, it's tough for us to remember a time when somebody in the group that is 10 times larger than the Mormon group, for example, accosted us and shared their faith with us. And so it's, it's interesting when you look at the same thing with Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are even more interesting. They're half the population of Mormons in this country, 0.8%. That's like one out of 100. So out of 100 people that you knew, right? So another way to think about that is that in real life, what would have been great is that for every time that a Jehovah's Witness shared their faith with me, that 10 other people who are evangelical Christians had shared their faith with me. And so the, the, the really interesting thing about this that you realize as you look through some of these things is that, again, the real distributions of people in sort of our neighborhoods and the people we come in contact with have little to do with our perceptions of the world. And so the reason I bring that up is that, again, you look at, you know, like Muslims, less than a half, less than 1% of the population in the U.S. And we tend to overestimate how frequently, because we hear about them in the news. But as you, when you look at the percentages, you realize it's a very low probability event that we're going to run into someone like that, right? Someone who's a Muslim who shares that faith, who has that faith. So largely, if you were to think about it, and Another point here is, you see where it says unaffiliated, and it says nothing in particular, 16%. So about 16 out of 100 people don't care enough to even care, right? And so you can imagine that they just have no strong feelings about anything. So it's way more likely that we're going to run into people who have no feelings about anything, or that, more importantly, it doesn't really matter. All roads lead to Rome. Pick one of them. You're going to pick a road. Or if you don't believe there's a Rome, that's good too, right? You can believe anything you want. And that's actually about the same percentage as there are just slightly less than the number of evangelical uh, Christians there are in the U.S. Or evangelical Protestant. I'm not going to say Christian because clearly there could be Christians in other denominations too. But who claim to be evangelical Protestants like, for example, this church is, for example, right? And so... The, the point, again, here is that going back to somebody's comment, the most likely group of people that you're going to run into are people who have identified in some way, shape, or form as Christian, right, just from a number perspective, who are probably not going to church, who don't care, or whatever else, right? That's going to be the most common group of people that we come in contact with every day. So, again, why that's interesting is that, well, then you realize a lot of the arguments that, or the discussions with them are not why Muhammad is the way or not. That's really not the question. There's only, there's less than 1% of the population that you even have to have the discussion of, is Muhammad the right way or not, right? The majority of people that you run into every day are just 
They've probably read the Bible. They probably grew up in some sort of Christian background. They've probably gone to some form of church in their lives, and they have left their faith or they've never come to a faith themselves. That is the majority of all the people that we're going to run into. Now, the Bay Area, of course, is slightly different, right, depending on what, where you are in the Bay Area, where you work. In, in the Bay Area, for example, depending on where you work, you may run into more Hindus, you know, and people from India or people from other countries, right, depending on sort of, or Buddhists, for example. Buddhism's not up there, but that would be another big one, right, with a lot of people from Asia that are in, the, in these areas, right? And so you look at those numbers and you realize, wow, those are still very, very, very small, and this is sort of an anomaly. And so in many ways, I think we're afraid because if we, we've got these barriers in our minds of we don't know the details of every one of these things. And as a result, we're not going to be able to articulate our faith very well. But in reality, the situation is that's not the way the world really looks, even though we potentially fear some of these things. Next slide. So the next big question, again, we're not going to go into sort of, again, this is, this is a, we don't have the time today to go into uh, sort of the details of any of these questions, right? But the next question that people always ask are, are all religions the same? We hear that all the time because if you go back to that, you know, that 15, 16% bucket of people who don't care, they're, you know, that's, that's the large group of people who fit into this bin of, well, you know, it's all the same. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you can believe anything you want. And so in the same way, a lot of religions, even, you know, you talk to Hindus, for example. I, I was having a conversation with, a, with our neighbor. I was in India a few weeks ago, and it turns out I was the neighbor's parents. And uh, I was sitting there with my dad talking to, uh, you know, to her parents who were Hindus. And so somehow the, something was, you know, the, 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 her dad said something, and then my dad chimed in something about the, the Bible. And, and immediately the guy chimes in, and he's a Brahmin, right, the highest caste Hindu. And he's like, well, it's like all of our scriptures are the same, right, you know, sort of thing. They all say the same thing. And it's just your way of saying the same thing versus our way of saying the same thing. And so, you know, so the question there is, is really, do they all say the same thing? And so one of the things that, uh, you know, if you were to look through sort of the major religions of the world, like Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, for example, is the major sort of bins in the world. And you ask the question of, what is God? And it turns out that, the notion of God is not the same for all of those religions. Buddhism has a very different view of what God means and what God is versus Christianity or Islam for that matter. And so when you, or Hinduism, right? When you think about sort of the in-between of Buddhism and say Christianity or, or, or Islam or, or, or Judaism on one side. And so even in that basic question, if you were to actually look at what the religions say or state or believe, it's that they don't agree. It, they just don't agree. Right? And if you look at the question of, you know, the question of who is God in all of these religions, or even the question of does who even matter? In Buddhism, of course, there is no who, right? In Christianity, of course, there is the who question and sort of the singular notion of what God is. They don't agree, right? And so this question of, you know, who is, is it Prophet Muhammad? Or is it Jesus? Is it, is it, you know, Joseph Smith? Who's the, who's the person, right? In this case, who, who's some form of leader or or meaningful prophet or other thing, they don't agree. And the question of even heaven, you know, something simple like heaven, which in, in most religions there's this notion of heaven or something beyond life and death in this world, right? And the question of what that means is completely different. 
right? So if you look at Islam, I mean, if you look at Islam and Christianity and Judaism closer in many ways than, say, Buddhism or Hinduism on the question of is there a heaven or is there a hell? And more importantly, the question of is there a way? And every one of these differ on that subject too. So if you were to step back, and, and again, I'd say it's a homework assignment for everyone to go back and look at some of these things if these things are interesting to you in detail. But if, if you were to step back and ask the question of, if you were to look at the Bhagavad Gita, if you were to look at the Quran, if you were to look at the Bible, for example, and ask the question of, are they all the same? The answer to that is no. I mean, that's a very separate question of, of, of you know, of, 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 of are any of those right or truth or truthful? But if you were to just go back to their, their, their you know, text themselves and ask the question, are they the same? Well, there's no notion, there's no way on the planet, if you were to look through any of them, the Bible or the Quran or any of these things, that you would come back and say that the views on anything are really the same, right? And so that whole notion that these things are all the same, well, no, that's our that's probably our perspective of wanting them to be the same versus any sort of connection to them being the same. Those are two completely different things. And so as you look at them, you'll realize that, no, they're absolutely not the same. And, you know, the challenge to anybody that you know who says they're the same would be to, well, fine, why don't you take a, you know, pick up a Bible maybe, take a look at it and see, because then you can compare for yourself to understand, well, is it the same or not? Are they saying the same thing, right? If it's a Hindu, right, or is a Muslim or someone else. And so... The, the academic question of are they the same is academically no. But practically speaking, often we hear that from people. Because again, it's not that they understand what's behind them. And again, we're not, this, this question is not answering the question, of, is, is, is any of them right? It's just asking, are they all the same? And the answer to that is no, they're not. Right? And so that's, again, a common thing where, again, the thing I would challenge you, if you've got friends who... One of, the, one of the points I want to make is that the likelihood that someone is going to come to Christ is still driven, as, as much as we meet people on airplanes and we hear about those stories of, you know, it happens, right? Larry's got some great stories. We hear great stories from whether it's Andy Stanley or Bill Hybels or anyone else. We always hear these great stories of, I was sitting next to someone on a plane and suddenly I told them a story or someone who I randomly came across. That happens, but the majority of people don't come to faith that way. The majority of people still come to faith because somebody that they know and somebody that they trust shared the faith with them, brought them to church, invited them to a Bible study, something like that. And so my recommendation to, to you know, in all of these cases we talk about some of these subjects is that rather than this being sort of the academic exercise of I'm going to study these things, maybe a, a simpler approach would be, well, why don't you talk to people that you know? And if you've got friends who are Buddhists, be a good, you know, be a good exercise to sort of understand like, what do Buddhists believe, right? If you've got friends who are, and so I'm hoping that out of the conversation that you'll all end up having to figure out some of these details because we're engaged with the world around us and we come across people who fit into these other ways of beliefs and other things that in some ways we're then forced to understand because we want to figure out how can we best share our faith with the people that we come in contact with. Next slide. So, again, I'm not, you know, we don't have time to go into details of all of these things, but the, the point I want to make just in this context is that if we were to go back and ask the question of, you know, are there multiple ways to get to God? I think the answer to that is 
again, going back to, we can, we can argue about whether the Bible is true or not, which is a separate topic altogether, which is, again, a, an interesting question of whether the Bible is accurate and why we believe the Bible to be true and accurate and historical. And we don't have time to go into the details, especially with, you know, with the Resurrection Sunday coming up next week. One of the key questions in the Christian faith, again, which we're not going to address, is the question of, did the resurrection actually happen or not? And I know that we're celebrating that next week, but that is one of the key questions because arguably if the resurrection did not happen, then the rest of the, you know, the Bible and the scripture is kind of meaningless, right, if you were to think about it. And it's one of the key tenets of Christianity is the fact that the resurrection occurred. And so the historicity or the question of whether that occurred or not is actually a key question, again, which we're not going to cover today. But if you were to step back and ask just the question of, well, are there many ways to get to God, right? Which is the question, well, we've talked about a lot of different religions and belief systems. Maybe, maybe there's more than one that could be right. Unlikely, because most of them don't agree with each other. But if you were to go back and just ask the question of, in Christianity, it, what is the view as a Christian as far as are there many ways? Does the scripture offer many ways for someone to come to knowledge of God or faith or eternal life? And the answer is no, doesn't. And, uh, you know, again, this is one common scripture that we all use, you know, John 14, 6. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is not a singular claim just in this passage. There, there are many other passages which either directly or indirectly point to exactly the same thing. So if you ask the question of what did Jesus believe and the early church believe, well, clearly the belief was that there is only one way, and that's through Jesus and his death and resurrection which is why we celebrate what we do. And so when, 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 you know, when, when the Hindu friend says, hey, all of this stuff is the same, I believe in, I believe in uh, Shiva, you know, Krishna, and Jesus, they're all the same, that's because that person's not familiar with John 14, 6. Because if he had read John 14, 6, he'd know that, well, that can't be true because the Jesus that I purportedly believe in says that, well, actually, there is no other way, right? And that's in contradiction. So these are all popular notions that have little to do with sort of any examination. And these are just beliefs, right? You start up with the belief system that, hey, everything's the same, not because you've examined it to understand whether they, in fact, are the same or not. And so, again, going back to, you know, very unequivocally, the scripture states that there is only one way through Jesus, and there are no alternative ways. And even in, even, in, even in Christianity today, there's sort of a notion that, you know, we've sort of watered down a lot of things. And again, they're, they're, you know, there are certainly things that have changed over time culturally, et cetera. But this is not one of them because it's one of the central tenets. And if you were to look at sort of this whole question of academic discussions in this space, this is one of the, this is one of the key academic discussions that always comes up because everybody understands that this is a key issue uh, when you talk about Christianity, about the resurrection, for example, and is Jesus the only way? Next slide. So, one of the things that we are always afraid about, and I'll speak for myself, is sort of this question of, I don't know enough to convince someone. And if you think about, you know, a lot of this discussion right now, I mean, if you, if you step back, for example, if I knew that, uh, you know, that, uh, I don't know, that pick any sort of fact you want, that Donald Trump is a president, right? And if someone were to say, well, he's actually not the president, how many seconds would it take for us to say, well, I think you're wrong. Just go, you know, go Google it and you'll find out that Trump is a president of the U.S., right? None of us would think twice about that. But 
when people say the same things about our faith, we're way less likely to even object, interject, or say anything, right? And often that's probably because to some level we're afraid of, of engaging in the topic. And the second is that sometimes we're, pri- we're, we're not quite sure what the standard of evidence is on the other side, right? And as a result, it's easier for us not to say anything versus us to be perceived as being wrong. And there's no objective way to actually prove that we're right, right? So and in those cases, it's just easier for us to say or do nothing. So let me give you a story. In the, if you go back to the scripture, one of my most favorite stories in the scripture is not one of the ones that we, we normally think of. It's actually the thief on the cross and the thief that came to faith on the cross at the time that Jesus, and as we think about in this coming week, we're talking about sort of the death and resurrection of Christ. I, I personally find that to be one of the most, most valuable and interesting stories in all of scripture. And, and, and just to sort of give you the context of the story, it was that you remember, there were, there were two people on, that were being crucified at the same time that Jesus was. And, you know, one of them makes a, ve- I mean, makes a very, very simple, you know, cl- comment to Jesus and says, hey, remember me. That was it. That was all he said. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I will, and you will be with me in paradise today. And so, to me, that's one of the most powerful stories in all of Scripture, and the reason for it is that, I mean, to think about how bizarre that story is, that would be like in modern day, we've got three people who are being executed sitting on electric chairs next to each other. And one of the ones who's dying on the electric chair turns to the other one and says, remember me in paradise. And the other one says, I will and you're going to be with me today. As bizarre as that story was. But now if you step back and unpack that story for a second, you're like, what did the guy know? who turned to Jesus and said, remember me? Did he have any deep theological understanding of who Jesus was? Did he have any deep theological understanding of Christianity or what it was going to become or Christ or anything? There's no indication that he's ever come come across Christ before. There's no indication that he was following him around one day and then he got caught up in something bad and suddenly he ended up on the cross. It was an indication of a very, very, very simple faith. And so, to me, when I look at that, I think that often we put huge barriers and huge knowledge requirements around what someone needs to know to come to faith. And if you look at the scriptures, you find that often the barrier there is significantly lower than the ones that we put in. We've got, you know, prescribed ways that you must pray, you must do all of these things, and in the scripture, it doesn't say that anywhere. I think we've constructed a lot of these things where, in some ways, I would argue that we need to be careful that we're not making it harder for people to come to Christ than God himself would consider it to be. And at the end of the day, it's not our call. It's God's call. And God's fully aware of how to make that call. And so, question? I'm going to walk over there because I... Here, let me give you a mic. Is it on yet? Hello. Hello. Yeah. Okay. I said your portrayal of that scene is not accurate. Okay. In what way? 
that thief told the other thief, the other thief's, the, the second thief told Jesus, if you're who you're, you say you are, come down off the cross and rescue us. And the thief who told Jesus, remember me, told the other thief, this man is innocent. We have done, we are being punished for what we deserved. But Jesus is innocent. So he knew something about Jesus. He knew enough to testify to the other thief that Jesus had basically had no sin. So he knew that much. And we as Christians know that much as well. Thank you. You know, great clarification. Let me clarify the point that I was trying to make, which was that if you were to go back as a standard of evidence, and you're absolutely right, but what the thief knew was just that Jesus was innocent. There was no understanding of what any sort of concept of God was, any sort of concept of divinity or anything else. It was extremely simple what the thief's understanding in that case was. Right? Very, very simple. The other thief. The other, the other thief testify as to who Jesus is. The other thief said, if you are who you say you are, if you truly are the Son of God, I mean, that can be inferred. Come down off the cross and rescue us. So the other thief knew something as well. We don't know how these thieves knew these things, but they did because they made those testimonies on the cross. So he's, he's the one who testified basically that Jesus is the Son of God. And he was challenging Jesus to prove it. Yeah, no, thank you again. But I, the point I'm trying to make was that the standard of evidence that they had, they had no scriptures. They didn't go to church every day. And the standard they have is significantly lower than anything that we have today. And with that little knowledge was all that it took in this case. And no complex theology whatsoever. So again, I'm going to go back to the point I'm trying to make is that we often may complicate things matters more than we need to is the point that I'm trying to make. And in this case, clearly their understanding was far less than any, any understanding that we have today. We have the scripture, we have all sorts of resources, scriptures, etc. And so the point, again, I'm going to go back to the point I'm trying to make is that we don't need to be afraid to share our faith because we feel that we don't know enough. Right? That's the point. Because if the thief on the cross could come to Christ with as little as he understood about whatever, because there was no written language, there was no Bible, there were none of those things back then. So very limited understanding of what any of those things meant. If, if the thief on the cross 
could be remembered and be in paradise and be in heaven, then, hey, our, our barrier, our, our sort of knowledge gap, if you will, or the knowledge that we need to be able to share our faith exceeds that by an order of magnitude, right? So we're well, well, well equipped to share our faith today. Everybody in this room, there's not a person in this room who's not equipped to share their faith today based on what we already know, right? So that's not an excuse or something that, should, that we should fear sharing our faith because of what we don't know. The second thing is that knowledge has never really saved anybody, and our knowledge isn't going to save anyone. Let me, let, me give you a, let me give you a story. When I was in college, my advisor happened to be a, you know, I was at a secular state school. My advisor was a Christian, and uh, he told me a really interesting story. He said that when he was younger, when he was in college, and in college is where you have a lot of these debates about the scriptures and all these other things. He said when he was in college, he said that he had a guy who would, you know, who was, would argue with him, and then he'd get to a point where he didn't know the answer to the question. So he would go back, scurry back, study the question, go back to the person next week. Every week he'd do this to get over every one of the objections this guy had. At the end of it, finally one day he got to the point where the guy had no more objections that he could object anymore. And then my, my advisor said, he turned to him and said, so are you going to become a Christian now? And the guy said, no. And he just walked away. And that was the end of the conversation. And the reason I bring that up is that, remember, sometimes we think, you know, not the, look, I'm, I'm doing this because I, I you know, obviously believe that it's valuable for us to understand these things. But at the end of the day, we don't save anybody. And we don't bring people to Christ. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And without the work of the Holy Spirit, you're going to end up with the story of my advisor's friend who said, hey, you know what, I, I really don't care, right? And the only thing that brings people to caring is the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And apart from that, no one's going to come to the gospel. And so in some ways, not only do we, not need, do we need to be open to be sharing our faith, we also need to be open to understanding and being discerning where the Spirit is at work in people's lives and when the Spirit is at work in people's lives. And so one of the reasons that we don't need to be afraid of sharing our faith because if someone doesn't come to Christ is because it's not our, it's not our call, right? The only thing that we're called to do is share our faith, not to, not to save people. That's the work of the Spirit. And so we want to make sure that also that Often the, people, the reason we fear sharing our faith is because, well, I've shared my faith and no one's come to Christ. And you're like, why do I want to keep doing this? Well, because it's not your call. It's not our call. Our call is to share our faith with the people that we come in contact with. If you look all through historical Christianity, you see even through the early scriptures, the, you know, the scriptures, you see people who, you know, people who listened, people who didn't. That was what happened everywhere we go. And so we should expect that. When you're speaking on that point, you're right. We're, we're not going to know, okay? We're just the messenger. We, you know, the Holy Spirit's working through us. We don't even know what we're, you know, what we're articulating to people. We're just sharing our, our life stories and, and, and Jesus. So, you know, we just hope that, you know, what we said to them might spark something in them, you know? So, you're right. I mean, we, we just need to be our... Our true, our, uh, ourselves and, and do, do what we're supposed to be doing. Thank you. So the, if, if there was one thing I could leave you with today, it would be that 
as much as this discussion was about knowledge and knowing, what matters more is not what we know. It's what we do. And if you go back and look at sort of the examples of, of people coming to Christ, and even the people, I mean, think about missionaries, think about sort of all the stories that we think of. None of those stories started out with the knowledge that they had. You know, for example, I'm on the board of Mission Aviation Fellowship. And, you know, Mission Aviation Fellowship, I don't know if you guys remember the story of the four missionaries who went down to South America, Alka Indians, you know, murdered them. That was one, of, was one of those events that sparked one of the biggest movements in the Christian missionary, you know, movement. Was a result, was, was a result of four people dying. No one ever asked the question of, what did Nate Saint know? It was, what did Nate Saint do? Was the only thing that mattered. And, you know, in all of these cases, I think we often get caught up in the question of what do we know that limits or in some ways we fear what we should be doing in life because of what we know. And if you were to look at the scriptures, I'd argue that the, 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 the bigger issue is what do we do with what we know is way more important than what we know. And we already know enough to do more than we're doing. We know more than enough today to make a bigger difference than the Mormons who are a small you know, proportion of the population or Jehovah's Witnesses or anyone else. And so if, if there was one thing I'd leave with everybody, and we're running out of time, but you know, one of the exercises I want to do is you know, at your tables, if you've got some time afterwards or if you decide to stick around because we've run out of time, is take a few minutes and think about what's one thing that you could do this week, if you will, What's one small step that you could do as far as either increasing your knowledge or more importantly doing something, taking one small action this week as far as, uh, you know, so I, I would say just take a couple minutes after we're done, if, if, if you will, and just take a few minutes and think about what's one small step that you can do. It doesn't have to be a big step, but what's one small step that everybody could do this week and commit to doing? And I'd leave you with that. And if you have any, and if you want to skip, skip to the next slide, um, I've left some resources on different topics if anyone is interested, if you'd like. And then I've also got my email address on the bottom of this, so feel free to drop me any questions. If you have any questions or objections or whatever, feel free to contact me, all right? Thank you, everybody.